So Genesis 48 and 49, I'm going to read the first eight, uh, seven verses in chapter 48. <clears throat> and then throughout the sermon, we'll read most, most all of it. So after this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the, and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. As for me, when I was in Padan, to, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. This is God's word. It's entirely true, and it's given to us in love. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the grand story of Genesis that um, we will soon draw to a close in. And thank you for how you uh, not only teach us about your incredible work uh, in the lives of these men and women that we've seen throughout the book of Genesis, but also your incredible work that you're doing in us, that, that the message of Genesis is not um, some outdated old book um, that has no relevance for us, and we're just telling a story, but that it has full relevance for us right now in our place. And so, God, I pray that you would show us that right now as we open up the Scriptures together. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, imagine yourself in the final moments of your life. Maybe uh, you have a couple of days to live, but you are on your deathbed. And not only that, you have, this is an ideal situation, okay? But you have all of your loved ones gathered around you. What would you say to them? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what you would say when you have those final moments of life? Your final words. You won't speak again, humanly speaking, to these people. What would you say to them? So I was moved, um, as some of you probably were, by some of Tim Keller's, Pastor Tim Keller's final words just before he passed away last month. Um, and here's, here was, here's some of the words that he spoke um, that were recorded by his son, Michael. Tim Keller says, I'm thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. And then, literally moments before he dies, on his literal deathbed, he says to his wife, there is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. And then he closed his eyes in death. Now, how could Tim Keller say these words at, at what many would say is the worst moment of your life, the very end? Well, it's because he had a hope that was bigger than death. 
He, he had a hope that overshadowed death, and that hope was a life. It was the life of another. You see, Tim Keller doesn't look to his accomplishments for hope, and he had many. He wrote many books. Um, he spoke in many different places. He was what we would call a, some sort of Christian celebrity. He was well-known. He doesn't look to that in the end. He doesn't look to his family. He, he had a wonderful wife and children. He doesn't look to them at the end. But he looks again to the finished work of Christ. So compare that to the message of our contemporary culture that says there is no hope in death. So do all you can on this earth. Live your best life while you have breath in your lungs because when you die, you die. And there's nothing left. And that's it. But that is not the Christian message. That is not the Christian's hope. And in these chapters today, believe it or not, Jacob, of all people that we have read about in Genesis, is going to demonstrate what that hope looks like. The hope that gives us words of hope in our own dying days. So I want to look at this in two ways this morning. Um, and then there's a third point as well that, that we'll take some application from. But the two main points are uh, Jacob looking at God's past promises. That's one. And then secondly, Jacob looking at God's future blessings. And then how does this change our present reality? So God's past promises, God's future blessings, and then how does this change our future reality? What does this do for us? So first, God's past promises. In chapter 48, we'll, we'll kind of read uh, through that a good bit. But last week we left off at the end of chapter 47. We were already in Jacob's room at his deathbed. He's sick. He, he knows he has... Uh, only uh, days or moments until he actually dies. So he begins to say his goodbyes to his family members, and he does this by way of blessing. So we'll, we'll look at that a little bit more in chapter 49. But for now, he begins with Joseph's two Egyptian sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And, I, and what I want us to see in chapter 48 is the way in which Jacob looks back over his own life in his interaction with Joseph and Joseph's sons. Because there are many things that Jacob could look back on and bring up in this moment. He could look with shame over the way in which he deceived his brother and father in Genesis chapter 27. We remember that well. He could lament the fact that he never saw his father or his mother ever again in his lifetime. After that, he could look with regret at the failure uh, he had as, as, as just a, a human being, but also as a father and as a husband. A lot of that happened there. He could also look back with pride over his, he could ignore all of his, his downfalls and all of his mistakes and all of those things. And he could look back with pride over his past and look at his accomplishments and look at his wealth and say, well, look what I've created. Look how, look how I've provided for my family. I've done well here on this earth. He could even look back with disdain toward God 
over the, over the repercussions he suffered and kind of shake his fist in anger towards God, asking, uh, why did you do this to me? He could have done all of that. And I really believe that, that was, that's what most of us would do or will do when we reach that point in our life. We will try or, or uh, to look back over our life and try to anchor ourselves in past accomplishments or, or good behaviors to make ourselves feel better as we approach death or we beat ourselves up over failures that we've had and done. But Jacob does none of this. Because what overwhelms Jacob here at the end of his life is not the failures of his life, it's not his accomplishments, but it's the reality of God's grace in his life. Look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter uh, 48. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. So I read those verses again because the first thing Jacob does when he sees Joseph, which is just a reminder of a lot of things going on in his life, um, but the first thing that he does when he sees Joseph and he sees his grandsons is to look back to the promise God made to him in Genesis chapter 28. Years and years before this moment, God says to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So that's the promise that God gave to Jacob when Jacob was not anywhere really close to following God as he is right now in this moment. So this is significant because not only is Jacob recalling the Abrahamic covenant uh, from chapter 17 even, but he's also reflecting on the original commandments at creation. If you can remember all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, God says to his people, be fruitful and multiply. And Jacob is remembering that command. So, so this tells us that Jacob is confident that, that God's promises are coming true in his family and it's been God's good providence that has led throughout his life. And it's in this confidence that Jacob passes on blessings to his grandsons. And within this blessing that he gives to them, a number of things are happening. First and foremost, verse 5 tells us that Jacob... Uh, adopts these grandsons as his own sons. So as he does this, he is ranking them as heirs. So if you, if you notice that, he, sa- he says to Jacob, these are now my sons. And every son that you have after this, they'll be your sons, but these two are mine. So Jacob takes them into his family, and he does this 
to rank them as an heir so that he's able to share with them uh, the promised land. He wants to give them a piece of this. And he says to them, And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. Now you might be moved uh, by this sweet grandfatherly gesture that Jacob makes here. But more than that, you need to be moved by what this all means. Because there's significance here. In chapter 28, God promised Jacob that he would return to the land that he had promised his people. So they were in the land for a while. Now they're out of the land. They're displaced once again. They are currently out of the promised land. They are in Egypt, the place where God's people should not be. So Jacob is blessing his now sons in full confidence in God's past promise, fully believing that they would have something to inherit. He was convinced that they were coming back to the land. He believed God. Because Jacob's hope in God's promises Uh, changed his dying, you could say. In these last moments on this earth, Jacob is looking back over, not his accomplishments, not his failures, but he's looking back over God's promise. And this changes the way he dies. And it can change the way you die as well. We are all marching towards that, whether you want to believe that or not. I know some of you are young and sprightly and you think you have everything before you. But the Lord can take your life in a moment. But we can have hope in our dying because of God's promises to us. So that's one way we see it. Another way we see Jacob looking to God's past promises is in the manner in which he blesses Manasseh and Ephraim. Look at verses 13 through 20 in chapter 48. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand and toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. So he was setting them up in the birth order. He was setting them up in the way in which, uh, the order in which they were to be blessed. Remember, the older is blessed before the younger. And so, so Joseph recognized that and he is setting them up in this way before his father. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. So essentially, Joseph thinks his dad is a bit senile here. He's like, you've done this wrong. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. 
He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. So what Jacob is acting out here in his blessing of his grandsons is his own belief in God's sovereignty. Because this has been true Jacob's entire life. If you remember, in God's plan was the young, the younger, uh, J- Jacob was the younger one who received the blessing over his older brother Esau. Completely backwards. So Jacob's uh, theological understanding of the ways of God, that yes, oftentimes, I would say more often than not, God does things that are outside human comprehension, and that it is the Lord's work in the Lord's way every single time. So if you are in a state of confusion now, Maybe you're wrestling with something that God is doing and you're praying through something that is difficult and hard and you don't really see a way out. Or if you've ever been in a state of confusion like that and you look back over your life and go, why did God do that? Why would he do something like that that just seems so just crazy and out of sorts for me? Why would he do that? Remember, God does not work the way you often expect. God does not fit into our own kind of logical explanations. He doesn't always fit inside the box that we seek to create for him. Oftentimes, he is doing something that is outside anything that we can comprehend. And when we can recognize this, this signifies a matured faith. As one commentator said, these words, he said, Believers who have matured in the faith through a lifetime of experiences in which the covenant God has shepherded and delivered them, no matter how difficult the maturing process may have been, can discern with confidence the purpose and plan of God for the future. Now this tells us, come what may, sufferings, blessings, whatever it might be, the, the believer that is familiar with God's ways and knows God's plan and knows who God is in his character and his love for his people can prepare for the future with certain expectation. Because they've seen God work in the past, they know that God is going to work in the same way in the present and in the future. So most Christians that I meet uh, that have a mature faith in God, and this is not all, but it's enough that I have confidence in what I'm about to say. But most mature Christians that I meet are people who have suffered. It doesn't matter if they're young or if they're old. But most mature Christians that I meet are people who have suffered. And at the same time, they didn't just suffer for suffering's sake. At the same time, in their suffering, have held on to God in the midst of it all. The, uh, the late Christian counselor David Pallison said in his book, God's Grace in Your Suffering, he said that God designs 
your, he calls it your significant suffering, because we all think our suffering is significant, your significant suffering for three reasons. One, he is revealing his abiding grace toward you. Two, he is removing all that is ungracious that is in you, so he's refining you. And then three, he is making you abidingly gracious. He's changing you. He's maturing you as a believer. Paul says it like this in Romans 5, something I read in my devotionals this past week. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And, and all the people said, Amen. That's, that's a wonderful promise to us. We will rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And we look at that and go, that is wonderful. I am going to rejoice in that. And then Paul, Paul goes on. Not only that, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And that's where Jacob is at. He is rejoicing, yes, in the hope of the glory of God, and at the same time in his sufferings that has produced this sort of hope in his life. And this hope changes his life, which we see lived out in our second point. Because not only does he have a hope that is built on God's past promises, Jacob is also looking toward a future that is shaped by God's blessings. And this is seen in the way that he blesses his 12 sons in chapter 49. So what we see in Jacob blessing his 12 sons is not him sort of splitting up his estate between them. He's not sitting around with his lawyers and dividing his wealth and saying, you get this uh, allotment and you get this allotment. Uh, and he's, he's kind of splitting it up kind of how we do uh, today. Now, what we see in the blessings is Jacob's hope in the shape of God's people to come. Jacob is essentially being used by God to shape what God's people will look like in the future. So he's looking toward the future of God's people, and God is using him to give us a glimpse of what God's people will look like. So for Jacob's family, the future lay beyond their settlement in Egypt, but it lays in the land of promise. So Jacob didn't get to Egypt and saw how good they had it now, like, they were, they, were, they were essentially going there to, to uh, rescue themselves. They didn't want to die in their land because they had no food. So they go to a place of abundance, which at that point in time was Egypt. But Jacob doesn't look at that and go, man, this is, this is where we need to be. Like, this is a good business opportunity for my family and for my sons. They need to stay here. And we also have the protection of the second most powerful man in the land who happens to be my son. So let's stay in Egypt. That's not what Jacob does. Because that's not the land that was promised to him. And so Jacob doesn't settle for the present condition as good as it looked because this was not what God had promised Abraham. This was not what God had promised Isaac. And it was not what God had promised Jacob. 
And it's a promise that the people of God would need to hear over and over again. And they do. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, this, uh, this reminder of the promise, this reminder of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is constantly given to God's people. When they're in tragic situations, when they make foolish choices, whenever, when they're in blessing and rejoicing, they are constantly being reminded of the promise of God. And even today we need to be reminded of that. You and I need to be reminded that we are God's people. You and I need to be reminded that His promises are for us, just as Joe read from First Peter, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And the only reason we are like that is because of what Christ has done in his death and his resurrection. Speaking about preaching the gospel message, um, the reformer Martin Luther, his familiar quote, he said these words, uh, most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, that we should know this gospel well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. We need the gospel beat into our head continually because we slip. Week in and week out, we slip. Just like God's people. And so the way Jacob shows us that he has confidence in this and he believes the promises of God is in the, in, in the way in which he um, blesses uh, his sons. And so if you've, we're not going to go through all of the blessings, but if you read through the blessings that are here in chapter 49, you will notice that there's, that are some that you look at and you go, that's not a blessing. Like, that seems bad. Like, really bad. Like, um, but it's not a curse either. Uh, Bruce Walkie, who's an Old Testament scholar, which means he's much smarter than I am, um, called these anti-blessings. So they were blessings of a sort. Because what Jacob is doing here is in, 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 in pronouncing these blessings and anti-blessings over his sons was he was showing us the bigger plan of God. He, he was giving us the big picture to what God will do amongst his people. And he's even saying some of it will not be good. Suffering is coming. And sometimes we need to hear that. Sometimes we need to see where we are going in order to endure what it will take, what it will take to get there. We still live in a broken world. We, if you are not suffering, is something, something I heard a long time ago is, is that, uh, we are always either, uh, in suffering, coming out of suffering, or going into suffering. Which is just to say, not to, not to scare you or whatever it might be, it's just to say, we still live in this broken down house of a world. That suffering will be upon us. But there is hope in the future. Jesus is coming again. And so this is what Jacob is doing here. He's reminding the people of who they are to become in God. So the blessings and anti-blessings accurately describe the role the brothers uh, will come to play in the future history of the nation because the brothers are, are represent the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. So he is giving not only a blessing and anti-blessings to the brothers, but he's also giving it to these tribes as a whole. So we don't have time to go into every single blessing here. If I'd encourage you to read it uh, later this afternoon. Um, 
But I, I want to, just in our time, I want to hone in on the blessing that is given to Judah. Because from Judah, not Joseph, the line of promise continues. And that's what we've been really most focused in on on throughout our entire three-year study of Genesis, is the line of promise. From Judah, Genesis 3.15 continues to march forward. And if if you're not familiar with Genesis 3.15, it simply says that the snake crusher is coming. That Satan will be defeated. Death will be uh, no more. Because from Judah comes God's ultimate promise, the Messiah, Jesus. So just look at uh, chapter 49. Look at verses 9 through 12. This is Judah's, or this is uh, Jacob's blessing upon his son Judah. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So what we see, what we see happening in these verses is Jacob, he's, yes, he's, he's blessing Judah, and what a wonderful blessing that is. But Jacob is also moving beyond Judah, and even beyond God's people as a whole, into the promise for the eschatological future of his people. The final outcome of all things. Jacob is pointing to the future king, the forever king, Jesus. So the New Testament affirms that, that this future anticipated king is, is none other than Jesus, the Messiah, the second Adam, a son of David of the tribe of Judah. And this is what Jacob means when he says in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So what this means is uh, imperfect men like Judah, eventually King David, shall carry the scepter until the perfect man Jesus comes to carry it forever. And that is a sure and steady hope. And that is the sure and steady hope that, that gives confidence at death and is why Jacob could say it with confidence. Jacob recognizes the brokenness of the world. He is not just, he's not kind of bypassing and saying all things are good now or whatever at his deathbed. Jacob has lived this brokenness for most of his life. Jacob was not walking with the Lord, but walking away from him. But he also recognizes that the Messiah is coming. The promise will be fulfilled. The snake crusher will be amongst us. And this is the hope that changes our present reality. 
This is a hope that, that changes your present reality, whether you believe in Jesus or not. Because you have to have a, a way to answer the question of what are you looking at in the past to bring you comfort, and what are you looking for in the future to give you a lasting hope, a hope that will not diminish at death, a hope that is greater than death. And where do you find that sort of hope? I can tell you with confidence, no other religion in the world offers you that. None. There is no other um, kind of secular or philosophical way of thinking or living that will offer you that. The only place that offers you lasting hope is Christianity. And that lasting hope is not in who you are, but in Jesus Christ. And why is that? Well, it's because Jesus is the one who fulfills all the law and all the prophets, uh, which means he fulfills every word that has ever been spoken in the Bible. The entirety of the Bible is pointing to Jesus. Every question in the Bible, every question in the Bible, answer is Jesus. Every one of them. He fulfills every word from the past, and he fills every aspect of of your present reality, but also your future reality, and that includes your death. The book of Revelation, which is a book that speaks of the future, it's, it's prophetic, is pointing us to this great reality that is to come, says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be, will be with them as their God, which is the promise that Jacob received. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. That's hope. And that is a hope that is only found in Christianity through Jesus it, it, we can all say, whether you believe in Jesus or not, even at the reading of those words, we, we can all be moved and say, that is wonderful. That sounds amazing. That sounds beautiful even. But I want you to understand that this is only available for those who are in Christ. It's only available to those who not only look to Christ's work in the past, his finished work, but we are also looking to his blessing in the future. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as believers in Christ, we are thankful that we don't have to look at our record. We don't have to look at our works 
in order to produce hope within us. All we have to do is to look upon Christ. And that is where we find our hope. So God, I pray that we would do that well, that we would uh, seek your word and and, uh, be in your word and seeking your face in it um, to be reminded of that gospel reality, that we would beat it into our own heads every single day. God, I pray for friends here and who will hear this message who are far from Christ. God, I pray that they would trust in you. I pray that they would repent of their sins and believe the gospel, that they would um, confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that he conquered Satan's sin and death through his victory. We pray all of these things in the name of Christ, our King. Amen.